What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. The witch is a traveler. She has traversed continents, cultures, and epics, carrying with her millennia of conflicting ideas about sex and gender, magic and power. So starts Witch Hunt, a traveler's guide to the power and persecution of the witch. A new book by Kristen J. Soleil, a writer, curator, and educator who happens to be a second-generation witch herself. She joined me last year to explore themes from her previous book, Cat Call. And as soon as I saw that her latest book was released, I knew I wanted to have her back on. We are so fortunate that she was able to join us. Like so many people, Kristen's health has been impacted by the coronavirus. She's been dealing with what's known as long-haul COVID, and a flare-up nearly kept us from connecting. I am so glad she felt up to it after all, for her sake first and foremost, and secondly, for all of us. Together, we explored her inspiration for Witch Hunt, the intensely personal project it became for her, and her thoughts on some sexy witch-embodying roleplay ideas. First, though, she shared a bit about her experience with COVID-19. Yeah, um, I got it super early in New York City in March, like three days after lockdown. So clearly, I was, you know, out and about with the germs. You know, I thought I got over it and ended up in the hospital, even though I kind of wanted to go many times, but you just couldn't in New York. So you just dealt with that, you know. Yeah, I, I got a bit better for a while. And then a lot of symptoms kept coming back. Now it's a common thing. People know a bit about long haul COVID your nervous system gets all spun out. So weird stuff happens and some days you're okay. And other days you can't like breathe so well and talking's harder. So this morning I woke up and I was like, oh no, I can't do the podcast. I can't talk. I can't breathe. And then a couple hours later, it was a little better. So I was like, okay, wait, I can do it. And it's like, it turns you into like a super flaky, weird person, but it's just like COVID does a number on your body. Even after you are quote unquote better, I think it's like, 10% of long haul and like nine out of 10 people have some lingering something from it if you don't die. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you are doing much better, even though you are experiencing still symptoms, just sending you so much good energy and it's, it's a lot. I appreciate it. And it's good to be able to have something fun to do as well. Even if it's like the nerves of like, can I do this? And It's funny to be nervous about being able to talk. Like that is such a simple thing we take for granted. And man, leading up to my book release a couple of weeks ago, like all summer, I was like, oh my God, can I talk? Like, it's an absurd thing you never think about. And it's the same thing with like walking. I can't really walk very far. Can't walk upstairs without a lot of difficulty. All these things, you know, I can go out and ride around in a car and do little things, but then there's been stores I want to go to, but there's big steps to get up there. And obviously there's plenty of people, disabilities that deal with this all the time. I am obviously learning like how inaccessible 
much of the world is, you know, if you have mobility issues or whatnot. And so, I mean, it's not a fun way to learn it, but I just feel like, oh, I'm really going to remember this, you know, and do what I can in the future to help advocate for more accessible venues and places. And I'm, I'm embarrassed I didn't know as much as I do now, but you know, firsthand experience is just a thing that you can't ever get till you get, right? <laughs> It's so interesting and really, I don't know if you'd use the word ironic, that your new book, Witch Hunt, which is incredible. I'm reading it oh, now. Thank you. And it's a travelogue. Yeah. To me, the timing feels really profoundly beautiful because I think we are all longing or many of us are longing for some kind of escape to be able to travel, even if we aren't really physically traveling. I really loved your introduction. You mentioned there is no substitute for the magic of place. Would you share a bit about that? Yeah. So I loved traveling all my life, did it a lot with parents who had world traveling type jobs and also just for fun when I could uh, afford it. And so I have always wanted like a travel guide to the early modern witch hunts or places that are associated with contemporary witchcraft. But if you look in a bookstore for like a witch travel guide, you're going to get a book about traversing the astral realm or something, not the earthly one. So I initially wanted to just do more of like a history and a little travelogue or whatever. And then the more I thought about it, like I did want it to be accessible because not everyone can travel. No, even outside the pandemic, it costs money. You have to have like the physical ability to travel, like the time, you know, all that. So if you have like kids, you know, childcare. So I really wanted to be able to make it an immersive journey. So I added some historical fiction to like go deep into some of these characters and these places I visit. And then I also tempered that with like leading historical references from people who study the witch hunts and that's all they do and then on top of that I talk about going to all these places and I've been going to these places for years sometimes sometimes I just recently went for the purpose of the book so yeah I have always felt a strong connection to to places and the energies that are in places and knowing that places are alive you know what came before kind of lives on metaphorically and metaphysically and so I, I have always gone to places alone often. I was an only child and I would be alone a lot growing up. So I, I spent a lot of time like just listening and tuning into the place I was at. And so that was the driving force behind how I wrote this book. And yeah, I think you're right. At first when this started happening and I was sick too and trying to finish this while being sick and being like, cause I did a lot of editing in pandemic quarantine times. I was like, this is going to be a disaster. No one cares. And I was like, wait, no, you wrote this because you know, not everyone can like put their feet on the ground and go to these places. You should be able to travel from your chair, from your desk, from your bed, wherever. I feel like I don't really ever resist because I miss these places and I miss the magic of place. So yeah, I feel like it's been kind of a bomb for me too. Amazing. That's so beautiful. Was there one place, I know you went to so many different countries all over the world. Is there a particular place that you visited that spoke to you in a way that felt especially meaningful? Ooh, that's a hard one because I almost felt that about every place I went. But I 
I really learning about some of the trials and particularly like the women's lives that were not the big flashy ones that always get treated in studies by historians. Some in the Eastern shore of Maryland, like I'm from Maryland. And so I didn't know there were witch trials in Maryland because that's just not a thing. You think about Salem, maybe, you know, little Connecticut, that's it, you know? And then of course, many, many all over Europe, but I kind of dug deeper into some of these little local cases around where I was from. And that kind of, you know, brought me closer to the place I grew up and to these histories that have kind of been lost or glossed over or ignored. And I think those are what are, what are meaningful. Like, I feel like I was connecting to these people, often whose stories have been kind of forgotten or, you know, told in a distorted way. Mm. And I think that's a really important piece to bring to readers too, because just as we can't go to certain places, many of us would never have even heard of some of these people. And I really appreciate that you you did explore stories in places that weren't as kind of, I don't know, stereotypically witch-related. In the introduction, you talked about, as you were digging deeper into your research, that your own bloodline beckoned. How did that happen? So that was super weird. I know some of my ancestry. That was pretty obvious. Like, you know, I know a lot of people from Ireland and my family came over late 1800s. Like that's been sort of kept alive, the Irish Catholic thing. It's like a big part of like one side of my family. But I didn't do 23andMe until kind of right before I was going on my trip. And it was funny that when I got my results, everywhere I was going, I had already made the itinerary. I had somewhat recent ancestry, which means that, you know, there's sort of this ancestral connection to all these histories, you know, whether very close or not, it still said something to me. I had no idea there was an Italian connection. I had no idea. So that really changed things in a way, it kind of made it more exciting. And I started wondering who or what came before, really thinking about my ancestors and doing a little more ancestor work in a way that helped me tap into some of these stories. Were you researching your ancestry for the sake of this book or was it just kind of coincidental? Totally coincidental because I had done ancestor work with sort of like some pieces that I knew about, but you know, it wasn't like a huge calling for me yet. And I know that's the thing. I feel like you maybe get to a certain age or a certain place and then suddenly you really want to know. That sort of happened after I started researching for this book. So I, I wasn't really into it before so much. And then I was like, wait, why am I not into this? It's too many coincidences. You know what I mean? There's some synchronicities here that are beyond, yeah. Yeah, the ultimate affirmation to be like, oh, your travel plan, also, it's you. Yeah, right? That's really, really amazing. I think that's really beautiful. So there's a, a quote that you shared from a book early on that really stood out to me. And maybe you can give us some context because I know it's from a book that you found out some things about. It's like not all factually accurate, I think you mentioned. But I love this idea. For the witch, sexuality is good and scientific logic must be followed freely. And that um, was credited to Marion Gibson. Yeah. So she's talking about Jules Michelet's La Sorcière. And that was sort of like a, a romantic retelling of the witch hunts. And it, it's super influential because a lot of people sort of took it for, as fact. And it's influenced a lot of contemporary feminists to this day, because it sort of framed the witch as this sort of sex positive feminist, if you will. We know the archetypal witch, she was free from patriarchal influence, 
but it's not like thousands of people accused of witchcraft were all like sex positive progressives, of course. Like historically, they lived in Christian societies, were often devout themselves. Some practiced elements of folk magic, which could have gotten them branded, you know, a witch. But oftentimes it was just wrong place, wrong time, community strife, political corruption, religious corruption, etc. But that doesn't mean that like the mythos and the archetype of the witch isn't like strongly influenced by empowered female sexuality and like liberation from, you know, heterosexuality and monogamy and gender roles. Like, because all that like visual art from the early modern period shows witches like sexualizing older women, you know, and queer couplings of witches, all these inversions of what the proper woman was supposed to be. So that's definitely real. So I think that, you know, that is where we can like get that feminist witch archetype from. And so that book, La Sorcier, took that and sort of said that was actually what was happening, which is not quite true. But then some feminists like picked it up and like ran with it. And it's very galvanizing for political action today. So that's awesome. So I don't really care if it's historically accurate or not. As long as you know, I think it's good. Everyone knows we can twist history for useful ways to like help us transcend the oppressive state of the present. So that's great. But as long as we know, like we're still twisting history a bit, you know? If you look at it as almost partly a fictional book, but it was kind of predictive or maybe helped contribute, you know, maybe someone manifesting what they want. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's so spot on. And so I love the book. In my book, I actually go visit the author's grave and leave a copy of my book, which my first book, which is Let's Feminists, um, because it's very influenced by that, like showing the parallels between the slut archetype and the witch archetype and the way female bodies have been policed and persecuted throughout history. So I love these juicy parallels, even if historians like to say, no, no, don't make them. It's historically inaccurate. It's like, no, as long as you know what's up, I think it's important because we need myths to drive us and to like feel inspired by and like ground us in history because there is the persecution of mostly women for witchcraft. I mean, 70 to 80%. It's a gendered persecution. That's real. You can't deny that, you know? Yeah. And it's really interesting to me how when the sex positivity does come up in these different stories, it gets vilified so much. I don't know if this is my own bias because of my own value system and what I really am passionate about or if that's really how a lot of people would perceive it. It always feels to me like the thing that gets vilified the most (laughs) is something to do with sexuality. Of course, sex or gender, that patriarchy doesn't want to be challenged, right? And it's only underpinned by these weird, oppressive ideas about the gender binary and, you know, male sexuality dominating all things and whatnot. Right. So a witch who was really into herbs, for example, might not be vilified or wouldn't be the same way as one who really embraced her desires. I mean, historically, there was still so much fear about healing and healing powers. And yeah, I don't know if I could say historically if that's the truth, but you certainly hear more about like, like, midwives or whatnot, or, you know, women who seem to be behaving in ways that were not appropriate, you know, like what you're saying. So even if they're not like sluts, quote unquote, by our, you know, current standards, there would be something off. There's just something that they're defying there, at least according to their community, you know, something wrong with them. 
So, yeah. A lot has changed since then, of course, as far as how witches are perceived. Many people celebrate witches all year round, if not throughout October or near Halloween. Given that the holiday is approaching and we can't safely go to typical costume parties and the like this year during the pandemic, it seemed like a good time to celebrate taking on characters in spicy ways at home. Yes, I am talking about role play. I found an article called Sexy Witch Fantasies and Sexual Magic Roleplay Games on the site Frisky Sexual Fantasies, and I decided to explore some of its suggestions for embracing your sexy inner witch with Kristen. I was curious about any historical context that came to mind for her, whether some are just plain made up, and if certain accessories or scenes brought to mind anything from her research. We started with eerie background music or sound effects. Ooh. I mean, I love a good like Halloween sound effect. I will put that on and just hang out in my place. So that's just me. But um, I feel like that's more associated with the archetypal witch of cinema and like horror films. Like you've got to, you know, have that when you're thinking about those witches. So I think obviously not that there's no historical underpinnings with that. There was no scary music when they walked around? I don't think so, but, you know, we weren't there, so we'll never really know. That's really true. What about a selection of magic wands? So in a sex scenario, this could be a glass dildo, which are really fun and and beautiful and make good art, by the way. I think we should keep them around our houses. Vibrators, butt plugs, but magic wands. Where does does that come from? Yeah, I mean, it's more from like ceremonial magic, you know, when there would be like a lot of literal ceremony around the magic you're practicing. So that's not always like associated with witchcraft historically, but it's sort of all melded together. And when I hear magic wand, I I think of chakrabs because I'm a huge chakrabs fan. And when I discovered crystal sex toy with healing potential, yes, please. I mean, that is like the truest magic wand out there. That made me think of just as a little side note, we talked about orgasm magic a bit in our last conversation or sex magic. And you had talked about orgasming with intention, masturbating with intention and how that seemed to play a role in you getting a a book deal. Oh yeah. And I'd said, Oh, I'm going to do this for my next book. And so I did, (gasps) and I did get a book deal. Oh my God. I didn't get the advance amount that I wanted. However, maybe that'll just be sprinkled out over time, but I wanted to thank you. Oh my God. I'm so excited to hear that. I think we need to start doing like seminars for like authors, sex magic. That's how you get a book deal. You know what? It's a very underrated tip and so fun. I mean, just really thinking about how much you want this. There seems to be this idea that if we want something too much, that's like shameful. Mm-hmm. You know, like I really want a book deal. I really want to work with somebody who works this way, believes this. I want money. Why can't we just say money's good? I mean, money's neutral. Money can be used for good. What's wrong with wanting it? Wanting safety and security and to be able to do fun things and give back. Absolutely. Because if you put a stopper on desire, like any desire, that's not good. You know, you got to have that channel open and flowing. Speaking of manifesting, next we explored bubbly potion or a magic elixir. In a role-playing context, that might be champagne, wine, or an herbal enhancer. 
This idea reminded Kristen of Giovanni El Toso of Florence. In Witch Hunt, Kristen shared that Giovanna, according to records from 1427, was accused of drawing the chaste spirit of a man for carnal purposes by means of the black arts. She was accused of witchcraft partially because she multiple times would put her menstrual blood in her lover's wine so that she could control his will and she could have his virility. And she did it with multiple lovers. That was just what you did back in the day to like bind yourself to someone else. And as I say in the book, consent and love magic is important these days. So I'm not telling you to go put your fluids in someone else's beverage without telling them. If you asked a lover for permission, however, and they were on board, Kristen said that could be fun. Next, we explored anointing substances, for which you could use flavored oils, syrup, stimulating lube, lipstick, or body paint. And right off the bat, Kristen thought of flying ointment. And that's historically the psychoactive salve that was made from plants like henbane, datura, belladonna, and it'd be poisonous or too strong, toxic, if ingested, like orally. So it could be applied vaginally or anally. And you could still get that same feeling of magical flight, which is why they call it flying ointment. And, and you know, there's some suggestions. They applied it with a handle of a staff or maybe a broom. And there we have the connection between witches flying on the broom. At least that's one narrative, Kristen said. And it definitely gets my vote. Next, we talked about this witchy role-playing accessory. Red satin sheets with a black comforter. That just seems like an awesome, like, contemporary slutty witch vibe to me. I wish I had red satin sheets. Like, I don't even know where one would get them, but that is totally on my list. (laughs) Okay, how about this one? Adding candles and incense or having sex outside during a full moon? Oh, yes to everything. Candles and incense remind me of ritual. They remind me of any witch shop you go to ever because they all smell like candles and incense. It's almost like a craft store, but more herby natural. Yes, yes, yes. Earthy craft store. (laughs) What about full moon sex? I sleep really well when there's a full moon and I always get this surge of creativity and I usually find out later that there was a full moon and people are like, I couldn't sleep all night. Mm. That's interesting. I have terrible time during the full moon. I always feel like sick or anxious and I don't sleep. But that's interesting that you sleep because, you know, it's associated with things coming to fruition and like bringing things out into the open. You know, you can see the light because, you know, literally everything's lit up. You know, it makes sense why you might be thinking of creative things during that time. Yeah. And I imagine sex during a full moon if you are manifesting or if you're doing some kind of orgasm magic, that's a good time. Oh, yeah. And you can like see what's going on. Yeah. And the ambiance. I mean, candlelight and moonlight are just beautiful. So it's fun, especially if you feel a little, as so many of us do at times, we feel like maybe a little body conscious or something just to feel a little more comfortable. Everyone looks so extra beautiful, I think, in that light. Yeah. And I should note that this Halloween is a full moon. So If you're planning on sex outside on the full moon, definitely do it on Halloween. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Erotic torture devices, feathers, 
know if feathers really are torturesome, but maybe they could be. Nibble clamps, whips, paddles, and hot wax. Interesting. I'm thinking that they're thinking of the trials and it reminds me of, I write in this chapter about the Scottish witch hunts. When I visit Edinburgh, I was at the National Museum of Scotland and I, across the room in this other exhibit, I couldn't really see what it was. And I see this collar and it was kind of like a spiked collar. And I was like, oh, it looks just like one of mine. My like bondage collars, you know, wearing since like middle school or whatever that I got at my favorite sex shop. And then I go up closer and I'm like, oh, you fool. It's like a horrific torture device, you know, used to chain up witches or accused witches. And so I think in a way, using those pieces today and having the power to subvert their original intent and usage is kind of cool. Taking control of your own pain and pleasure is something that those accused of witchcraft in the past didn't have the ability to do. It is a privilege to use those torture devices as you see fit, right? Next, I shared three witch-themed role-play scenes recommended by Frisky Sexual Fantasies for Kristen to share thoughts on, starting with this one. An innocent young witch is being trained to tap into her sexual energy by a wicked warlock. It is forbidden yet powerful, knowledge that tempts her. She is eager to experience all of his erotic secrets, whatever the outcome. So that, that definitely makes me just think of in the trials, you didn't often have men and women like getting accused of witchcraft because they were having sex or anything. But I'm sure it happened at some point, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, people get in trouble. And in horror movies, they definitely get killed first <laughs> if they had sex. Yes, you definitely get killed if you have sex in horror movies. <laughs> okay, here's another one. You have lured an innocent male into your haunted lair He is tied up and struggling, but can't resist the building excitement as you defile his purity. You unlock his primal urges and release him from his inhibitions. He is so grateful that he becomes your sexual servant to satisfy all your nasty desires. I love that one. And that one's like pretty historically accurate because in multiple witch hunting manuals and, you know, demonological treatises, there there is writing about witches taking over men's wills and making them their slaves or stealing their penises or forcing them to have sex and, uh, you know, bringing them into a devilish compact, renouncing God and Christ in the process. The fear of the seductress is certainly a big one when it comes to historical witch, witch hunting. So yeah, I like that one. And what was the taking of the penis for? They would just keep it in the box. He's been bad, like chastity device, but they actually just removed the penis. (laughs) Wow. That's intense. Yeah. No one try that one at home. Lastly, one we will call the lusty virgin. You're a virgin witch who has just discovered a special spell. Lusting for power, you're willing to sacrifice your virginity to tap into your sexual energy. You conjure up a demon lover, devil vampire or werewolf to ravish you and fulfill the ritual the beast is insatiable as it takes you again and again the ecstasy you experience is worth the price oh that's good and that one has some historical underpinnings too because like in the english trials there'd be a lot of um, testimonies about you know the devil coming to different women in the in the form of an animal in the shape of an animal and having sex and a man too actually yeah, in Catcall, 
um, my second book, which we just talked about months ago. Um, there is a story of even a man having sex with a devil in the shape of a cat, which I don't know how that worked. But definitely lots of like beastly sexuality was tried and true part of the witch hunts. <laughs> so if that aroused something in you, it might be fun to try as a role play. One of the coolest things about role play is that it's all about fantasy. Right. It doesn't matter if it's wrong or right or historically accurate. Oh, my God. Can you imagine being such a nerd at role play that you want it to be historically accurate? That means actually that's like probably me. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I must have my role play historically accurate. Oh, my gosh. That would take a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And probably some travel as well. Uh-huh. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> a lot of negotiation. <laughs> yes. Yes. All good things. What do you most hope that readers take away from your newest book, Witch Hunt? Ooh, I hope people are transported and they think about witch hunts in new ways because it's so often like a word that's thrown out by powerful male politicians, you know, pretending to be the victims. And really the people who were the victims of the witch hunts were the most marginalized people oppressed by society at every turn. So I think... I want some education to happen when people read it, but I really hope also just, you know, to sink into these, these places and this history and come away with a new view of what a witch hunt actually was and who a witch is. And how has the whole process impacted you? You went in already knowing so much about these topics and it sounds like you learned a great deal as well. And it became a really from the start was a very personal mission in addition to, to writing for others. Yeah, I would say this book changed me way more than any book. Uh, the first two books, which were more like an academic distance or something, this got really personal and intimate. And I really, after my travels, you know, I, I met so many people energetically and metaphysically and metaphorically. And actually, you know, I met a lot of people in my travels too, like real life people that I came home and was like, I need to change this, this, and this about my life. You know, I, I want to do this. Like I, I just changed a lot of things because I was just thinking about, I need to feast gratefully at this imperfect banquet I've been given, you know, like life. And that's, you know, I put some line in the book, I put it somewhere because, you know, seeing the privileges and the gifts I've been able to have in this life, it's like, damn, I better take advantage. And I know that and we know that, but when you immerse yourself so deeply in like these traumatic times of the past, you feel it in a new embodied way. Find Witch Hunt, a traveler's guide to the power and persecution of the witch most anywhere books are sold. Kristen pointed out that indie stores in particular could use support right now. She's also selling signed copies through her website. She had these special book plates made that match the cover. They're beautiful. Find direct links down in the show notes. To take our role-playing fun further, I asked Dr. Megan Fleming to share her top beginner's tips. So I'm excited, August, to share with you my top two recommendations for role-play. And Halloween is the perfect time of year for sexy role-play. Just think about it. Who have you always wanted to be? And better yet, think of all the possibilities. All you need for role play is your erotic imagination and a sense of humor. 
Because it's not uncommon that the first time it's going to feel awkward or silly. And I think I hear from my clients so often, and that's sort of where it stops. And so what's really critical is that you get past your self-judgment so you can get to the fun stuff. You know, there are many ways to experiment and thinking about core erotic themes and power play and all the different dynamics that you can explore. Know that, again, it can take time to sort of get into a character. So in the beginning, you might sort of want to make a commitment for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, but really giving yourself, and maybe you start with five or 10 minutes. The whole idea is give yourself an opportunity to sort of throw yourself into the role, knowing that it's time limited. And that the greatest thing here is you get to be out of characters, things that you would not normally do in playing a character you get to have a ton of fun with. So if you might be looking for some ideas, um, some popular ones are professor and student, stripper client, cheerleader football player, royalty servant, pirate captive, warden prisoner, and I love this one, virgin and experienced person. So if you're looking for another place to think about getting some of these sexy costumes, I really highly recommend checking out Love Honey because um, they actually have a category, role play and costumes, and they come in plus sizes too. My two records are, my number one is that in role play, you are both committed to not judge yourself or your partner. And the second top recommendation is have fun. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. To get free clitoral stim tips from Dr. Megan, as well as occasional sex tips by email, text the word DESIRE to 66866. That's DESIRE to 66866. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would so appreciate a rating and review and letting your friends know about the show. I'm also going to be sharing some exciting news soon about a community that you can join for more Girl Boner fun. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>